But I do want us to go on in this subject of joy. It is such a precious subject. I am sure we won't spend as much time on it in terms of the density and the length of time we took with the subject of love, but I wouldn't be surprised if we spend several weeks on the subject of joy. There is enough to it, and there's enough precious scriptures that you can bring in to add to the flavor of the subject. Sometimes a scripture adds to the flavor of the subject. What I mean by that is that it may not tell you something new about the subject, but it just adds some punctuation to it, exclamation point, so to speak or an emotional punctuation of some kind to the subject, which in a subject like joy, there are many, many scriptures you could talk about. It was hard for me when I was thinking about what scriptures I wanted to talk about, and I haven't thought it all completely through from finish to end. I'll let the Lord do that. But when I had scriptures on my mind, it was hard to narrow down which ones I wanted to really give some time to because of the fact that there are so many. There's hundreds of scriptures you could read on joy. That should tell you something about the fact that it's an expression God wants us to feel. It's an expression God feels. It's an expression Jesus feels. It's not something necessarily that we're going to feel all at once and forever. Sometimes when people are newer to the faith, I think they believe there are certain things that they'll get all at once and it'll never go away. Because now I'm a Christian, I'll never feel anything but joy for the rest of my life, day in and day out, or love, or peace, or whatever other of the fruit of the Spirit you would like to note as something that you feel like should be part of the Christian faith. It is part of the Christian faith, and it's a very critical part of the Christian faith, but it is a part of the Christian faith that grows and develops. It doesn't come to you in a fully fleshed form when you first come to the faith, so to speak. It doesn't come fully developed. No fruit does, does it? The process by which we get any fruit is that it has to have a growth curve, doesn't it? You don't just pick up a seed and say, this is an apple seed, I sure need an apple, and pop, an apple appears out of the seed. Wouldn't that be something? That'd be nice. be nice. You collect a whole bunch of seeds in your pocket, and whenever you want a snack, just pull the seed out and yell for an apple, and pop, an apple appears. Or a watermelon seed, for those of you that are watermelon lovers. Just pull out a watermelon seed, have your arms ready to get it when it grows, but up comes a watermelon just in a matter of a blink of an eye or perhaps in a matter of a few seconds. That's not how fruit is developed, is it? That seed's put in the ground and the circumstances of its planting, the conditions of the soil and of the environment, and depending on what you're growing, the amount of sunlight and rain and other things that need to be present for that seed to produce what you're wanting it to produce, for it to produce that fruit. And then there can even be additives that you can add to the soil or things you can do to make that fruit to grow quicker or to grow larger or whatever the case might be. That's no different with the fruit of the Spirit. The Lord did use the concept of fruit when He made this list, didn't He? When He inspired Paul, especially in Galatians 5, to list the fruit of the Spirit there and in the other places where it's listed as well. It is called fruit, and that should communicate all by itself to us that it is something that has a growth process to it. It has to grow. It has to be nurtured. It's got to be cared for. Some of that care that goes into it and some of that interaction with the fruit, so to speak, in terms of the seed and the soil and all the other things are your responsibility. Some of them are God's responsibility. And most of them are a combination of both. Where you can do something to be a benefit that God has intended you to do, you should be doing. You cannot expect, I've said it probably when we talked about every fruit of the Spirit, but you cannot expect 
the fruit of the Spirit to develop in your life if you don't even have a desire for it and you're not striving to have that fruit in your life. If you don't have any desire to ever feel joy, you'd rather feel negative, you'd rather feel sorrowful all the time. If you enjoy sorrow, I think sometimes if we're not careful, we can get in a state where we actually enjoy sorrow, whether we think we are doing that or not. We feel more comfortable in a dark place than in a pleasant place, in a more positive place. But you're going to have to have a desire for some of these things for them to grow. You can't expect them just to be appearing in your life if you don't have some desire, but you're also going to have to have God very directly involved or you can be certain they're not going to be produced in your life because you cannot produce these fruit without God. It requires God's very direct and very intimate and very consistent involvement in order for any of these fruit to be produced. So when we're talking about joy, I do want you to make a distinction. I believe I said this last time, but I can't recall I do want you to make a distinction between momentary joy, which sometimes people might call happiness, but it's not always what we think of as happiness, a burst of joy, a period of joy versus fullness of joy. Those are not the same thing. If you truly could have joy in your heart, I'm not talking about having a big beaming smile on your face every second or just bouncing around constantly and never having any negative thought. There are some things you probably are going to have a negative thought about. You think Jesus never had a negative thought. You better understand what I mean by a negative thought. Let me qualify that because that can mean different things in our day. Do you think Jesus never had a thought come through his mind or even a thought that was appropriate that was something that he wasn't happy about? You better believe it. He wasn't happy about Israel's condition. He wasn't happy at the fact that his message was being rejected. He wasn't happy at the way his disciples were being treated. You can go on down the line with examples, but those are some simple ones. But do you realize that Jesus was somebody who was bearing the fullness of the fruit of joy? And yet there's times when I'm sure there's things he wasn't joyful about. So you have to realize what joy really is representing. It's not representing you walking around in a bubble where you never feel anything negative about anything. It's representing a state of mind that maintains your equilibrium where you never lose that feeling of connection with God that gives you joy. You never lose your bearings, so to speak. I'm going to relate joy very closely with peace, and I'll come back to that perhaps in a few minutes, but you're always in a state where there's a peace that you have because of your recognition of God's involvement in your life, your recognition of your relationship with the Lord. And that'll bring joy alongside of it because joy and peace are very similar things, whether you realize it or not. It'd be very hard to have joy without peace, wouldn't it? It'd be very hard to have joy when your mind is in a state of conflict. I don't mean somebody on the outside is out to get you. Jesus had all kinds of people out to get him, but he didn't lose the maturity of the fruit of the Spirit in his life. Joy comes down to the same kind of inner feeling you have with peace, and that is that it's a state of mind you don't lose no matter what's going on around you. You're not in a state of inner conflict that would cause you to lose your joy in the things of the Lord. But you can't get your mind off the things of the Lord, or you could lose your joy in the Lord. Your mind has to be focused on the right things in order for you to have joy. That'll be true of some of the other fruit too, you'll see. But it's especially true when it comes to joy that if your mind is not focused on the right things, if you're not a grateful person, it's going to be awful hard to have any joy. If you don't have any gratitude for the things God has done and is doing, if you don't have any enthusiasm, sometimes people get uncomfortable with the word excitement because you don't want just emotional excitement. But if excitement has been created by the work of the Spirit of God, which you might call inspiration, that's not always the same thing. There is a spirit-driven excitement where there's a rising feeling of exuberance that just washes over you because you know God is doing something or He's about to do something. 
or he is interacting with you in a way that lets you really know he's present. That should cause gratitude to come over you, shouldn't it? You should not lose that feeling. That's what you should be striving for when it comes to joy. One of the most important things is not losing your gratitude. Because joy is greatly related to gratitude, as it is to several other things I'll talk about. But if you start losing your gratitude, remember, joy is a synonym of happiness. It's a little bit deeper and more full than just what we think of as happiness in our day. But, you know, people can become happy or in a good state of mind because they're getting something they want, but they lose that state of mind. You don't want to ever get to a place where you've lost your gratitude. That is a great key to joy. But I said joy has to be developed. It's got to grow and increase over time. It'd be wonderful if you maintained the same level of joy you felt when you were filled with the Holy Ghost or when you felt the burden of sin lift, when you confessed your sins and you truly know that you had your sins forgiven, you had a very distinct conversion experience. It'd be a wonderful thing if you never lost that feeling. But we all know that there is still a roller coaster ride of inner feelings and conditions that you're going to deal with in your Christian walk after you're saved, after you're filled with the Holy Ghost. So I do not want you to confuse the fact that you may have felt a tremendous exuberance or state of rejoicing or joy at some point when you were worshiping or when you were recognizing the reality of God, maybe when someone was preaching or giving a testimony, and then it faded later. You might question, well, was that really joy? It was joy, I believe. And if what instigated that feeling was something that came from the God of heaven, and it was a feeling of rejoicing at what the God of heaven did, it was joy. But you need to realize that joy has to be cultivated. It's got to be maintained. It can't, you feel it one time and then, okay, I got that handled. I'll move on to the next one because you could lose your joy just a few minutes later if you're not careful. So it is a developmental thing. It's not instantaneously and eternally present at the moment that you enter into relationship with the Lord or you're filled with the Holy Spirit, as I said. And you can have a present measure of joy without it being a constant fullness of joy. You feel joy for a while and maybe that joy fades. I'm going to say this over and over, but I want you really to get the point of this. I'm not talking about walking around in a bubble of positivity where all you can do is smile and you couldn't do anything but smile. It's like you're so hyped up, you know, like when someone is feeling a rush of adrenaline and they're just running around, you know. You just cannot come down from this state of joy you're in. That's not quite what the fruit of joy is about. It's more about not losing the reason for why you would be joyful. You don't lose your faith. Faith is very deeply related to joy. You realize what it is you have faith in. And as your faith gets stronger, your joy should get stronger, shouldn't it? Just think about how common sense this is. If you really believe what God said He's going to do, and what He's going to do is wonderful, wouldn't it make you more happy over time? I'm going to use the word happy once in a while as a synonym, though I know we talked about it last time. They do have some different meanings to us in our modern day. Wouldn't you feel a feeling of joy if you were certain God was about to do something good? Or if you were certain God's in control? Let's just use that as an example. Even if the world around us is not in the best state presently, even if there's conditions we really don't appreciate, if you knew God was in control and He's working things to an expected end that's going to be glorious, wouldn't that realization make you feel a joy down inside? You may not feel a joy about the present condition, but the joy about God's work and God's reality and God's purpose should not be lost in the heat of the present moment. So you can have joy without it being constant, and it does need to be encouraged and developed. Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
If you really want to experience fullness of joy, you're going to have to, this is one of the keys, you're going to have to enter into God's presence. That's where the fullness of joy is found, you know. If you're never doing anything in terms of your prayers and your worship and your study, for that matter, just singing a song, whatever it may be that would cause you to mentally and emotionally and spiritually enter into God's presence, if you're never doing that, you shouldn't be surprised if you're not feeling joy because the source of joy is God and we have to be in His presence to really experience the fullness of joy. The more you're in His presence, the more joy you'll feel. It's why sometimes people get so overwhelmed by what they feel when they're feeling the Spirit, and they express it in different ways. Someone might take off running across the church. And at times, that can be just generated by emotional excitement. It may not be the Spirit at all. But there are certainly times it is the Spirit. And if it is the Spirit, what do you think they're feeling when somebody is playing a very uplifting or triumphant type of song, and someone just has to leap out of their seat and run around or dance? They're feeling the joy of the Lord, aren't they? Why? Because they're feeling His presence in that music or in their worship. So we do have to realize that that is the source. There is a fullness of joy that can only be found if you're in the presence of the Lord. If you're very seldom in the presence of the Lord, you're not going to have the kind of joy that we're talking about here very often. Isaiah 29, 17 to 21 says, Is it not yet a very little while? This is talking about Israel's restoration that we were just talking about here this Sunday afternoon. Is it not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest? And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. Won't that be something? So what I was just talking about here lately, about anybody who's blind, whether Jew or Gentile, who cannot hear the Word of God. They can't hear it. You can talk to them about it. You can tell them the gospel message, but their ears, it won't penetrate into their heart. It just bounces off their ears, so to speak. Sometimes it's that they just can't see it. Whatever you're describing for them, whatever picture you're painting, or even just the words on the page of the Bible, they just cannot see them. But there's going to come a time when the deaf will hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind will see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. Notice it says they'll increase their joy. That tells you right there you can have a development in your joy, that you can have greater joy than you used to have. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if there is a greater joy than some of the times you've really felt the joy of the Lord wash over you? a greater level of it, perhaps a greater consistency of it, maybe the joy you felt when you received the Holy Spirit, there's a greater joy yet. You understand, the joy you were feeling when you received the Holy Spirit, as incredible as that was, and as much as that might be a very high level of joy for certain, the joy you were feeling, whether you consciously or your spirit unconsciously recognized it, was the joy about getting the down payment on eternal life. What about when you get eternal life? Which is more exciting for you when you're selling a home, when someone gives you the down payment, or when they, wouldn't it be something if they did it this way, when they walk up and bring you a briefcase full of cash, which one is more exciting? Well, I hope you're thinking the latter. One of these days, you're going to receive eternal life. That will be an incredible state of joy. It goes on to say in that passage, the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel, for the terrible one is brought to naught. And the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him that reproveth in the gate. Turn aside the just for a thing of naught. So all those things and individuals who have been such enemies to the church are going to be taken out of the way. All those things that are resistant to God's will are going to be taken out of the way. That make you rejoice. 
1 John 1, 1 to 4 is another example of this kind of language about how joy can increase or grow. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes and have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you. The reason I read this whole section before I got to this verse is so you'd know what things they were talking about. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Well, now you need to go back through the verses we just read. What are some of the things that he just wrote to them so that their joy would grow to a place where it would be full? Well, look, we've seen these things. Our eyes, we've handled them with our hands. You can be confident. This is what John was saying. You can be confident in the message we're giving you. We saw Jesus. We heard his voice. We know what the message is. And we're declaring to you that which we've seen and heard. And we're sharing with you the fellowship we have with God the Father and with Jesus Christ, His Son, is a fellowship you can have too. And if you have that fellowship, you'll have the kind of fullness of joy that we have. Second John, the 12th verse says, Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. John had some things to say to the church that he knew that if he could tell that church some of those precious truths that God had given him, some of those encouraging words, it would bring a great amount of joy to them and it would bring him joy. You know, it gives you joy when God gives you a message of hope that you can give to the people. I'm going to tell you this Sunday afternoon, I felt a tremendous amount of joy talking to you. I hope you felt it. I told Jim, it's hard to maybe imagine this because the amount of talking that I do in the role that I have, but I am not a person who appreciates being in the spotlight. I don't really appreciate getting in the center of attention necessarily. But I'm going to tell you, when God gives you something that you feel a, the kind of anointing you feel with some of these messages, and he can do that through a, any kind of format. It doesn't have to be through me or through any particular methodology, but when he gives that kind of a message where there's that kind of an anointing and a feeling of hope about the future and some of the glorious things that are coming, there's this feeling of joy that sweeps over you. If you're connected to the message and you understand what's being said, you may not even recognize that's what you're feeling, but you'll be feeling joy. You know why you'll be feeling joy? What kind of God do we serve? Wouldn't you feel joy if you're thinking, what kind of God is this? You ended the service with the song, How Great Is Our God. That was the best possible song you probably could have ended with as far as I'm concerned. How great is our God? Doesn't that make you feel joy saying that? You realize I can feel, I don't know if it looks visible from where you're sitting, but I can feel my eyes light up when I say that. I can feel my spirit rise just saying that. It should bring joy to you knowing how great our God is. It should bring joy to you knowing what our God is doing. And that joy should carry past the present distress. It should carry through the present distress. It should overcome the present distress because it's a greater hope than any condition you might have to face in the present, which is why you don't lose your joy. You might be in the middle of travail, but you don't lose your joy because you know what is on the other side. You know what this travail might even accomplish in your life. I doubt we'll be able to cover it tonight, but one of these classes on joy, I do want to. I've got a number of them in my mind. I do want to talk about some of the scriptures. It's amazing how many there are that advise you. I think I mentioned it last time, especially in the New Testament, that talk about joy that are associated with hardship. In the midst of hardship, despite hardship, you need to feel joy. Don't lose your joy. It's reiterated a number of times in the New Testament, the importance of not losing your joy under strain. 
not losing your joy under stress, not losing your joy under conditions of hardship or negative things that are happening to you. So you do have to realize some certain things that'll make you joyful. And I said here, this precious song we sang, how great is our God, that alone, just singing it, if you recognize the feeling that's coming up in you, it is a feeling of perhaps awe and respect. But if you're capable of analyzing, this isn't always easy, but if you're capable of analyzing your actual emotions when you're singing a song like that, don't you feel joy? When you sing a song about how great God is, because he's our God, right? If we're not singing about how great some terrible evil God is, oh, he's so great and mighty and powerful and it's so terrible. Precious little Emma asked me this question right after service today about the devil, whether the devil ever goes to sleep. I don't think he does. Don't lose your joy. (laughs) I told her that. I said, I don't think he does, honey, but neither does God. And God's always got his eye on that scoundrel. So you don't have to worry about if he's awake because there's a lot bigger power than him that never sleeps and never slumbers. Even saying that, do you feel something? You know what that feeling is? Whether you realize it is or not, it's joy. That makes me feel happy in a very powerful, deep way to know my God doesn't sleep. Nothing is beyond his purview and power. He knows what's going on. He's aware That's something that should create joy in your heart. So the more your faith develops, the more your knowledge of God develops, the more your relationship with God develops, the more joy you're going to have, whether you realize that's what it is, because joy is so deeply connected to confidence. That's why the faith element is so important. Joy is a product of true and developing faith. And the more faith, faith is a huge subject, but in this sense, I'm talking about trust or confidence, hope. The more faith you have, the more joy you'll experience. Wouldn't you think? Think how simple that is. If you are absolutely certain God is on your side, you would be in a pretty good state of mind, don't you think? You'd be feeling pretty joyful. If you thought, no matter what's going on around you, no matter what challenges you're facing, but God, but God, in other words, whatever's going on, but God is on my side, but God is in control. But God is the almighty God. No power equals him. No power can overwhelm him. No power can surprise him or take advantage of him. That alone should cause you to feel joy because that's your God you're talking about. Wouldn't that make you feel joyful? That's part of how your faith affects it. Psalms 5, 11 and 12 says, Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. I'm intentionally not going to tell you what each one of these are in Hebrew or Greek, but the words that I gave you on the sheet I gave you that have some of the Greek and Hebrew words, these are among those words. If it's a different word that's not on that sheet, I'll tell you what the word is, but this word for rejoice is one of those words, samach. Let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Why are they rejoicing? Before we even read any more, why are they rejoicing? Why do they feel joy? There you go. Because if you really put your trust in God, and I mean you put it in Him, you're not just rolling the dice and thinking, yeah, maybe He's there, maybe He's not. But you're putting it in Him. See, putting your trust in God is different than just hoping there is a God. Saying, well, I sure hope He's up there. That's not putting your trust in God. Putting your trust in God is like putting money in the bank. Putting some money in an investment that you know will bear fruit. We put our trust in Him. We sink our hopes into Him. And if your hopes are really anchored in Jesus, anchored in God, you're going to feel joy. So let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. You should rejoice if your trust is really in him. Let them ever shout for joy. 
You shout for joy if you really trust God, but you got to really trust him because what are you shouting about if you don't really trust him? Because thou defendest them, let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Think how many different forms of joy are in this verse alone. Why does that person feel joy? Because they love his name. See how love and joy are interrelated there? You really love the Lord. It should make you feel joyful. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous with favor while thou compass him as with a shield. Psalm 16, 8 to 11 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. You understand this is a passage that was applied to Jesus. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand pleasures forevermore. It's that the bigger context, the larger context, the verse I quoted a little bit ago. Second chapter of Acts and the 16th chapter of Acts both use that passage as a reference to Christ. And it tells us some of the reasons that Jesus had joy. What are some of the reasons in this passage Jesus would have had joy and kept his joy? There's a whole list of them. Start with the first verse I quoted in the eighth verse. Read the first part of the eighth verse. Read it good and loud. Whoever, whoever's mouth can move the quickest. Psalm 16, 8. Read that first little phrase out of there. I have set the Lord always before me. Okay. We don't even need to go along any longer in the list. We will, but we don't have to because that's enough. You want to not lose your joy? Like Jesus did not lose his. And he faced some terrible things, saints. He didn't lose his joy. How did he not lose his joy? I have set the Lord always. Notice always. That's an important word. I've set the Lord always before me. That alone should cause you never to lose your joy. Can you see anything else in that list? Almost every statement in there is part of the reasons. He's at my right hand. It's part of setting him before you. You know, when you stay in the presence of the Lord, the Lord will go with you. Is that strange sounding? You can look at it either way, two sides of the same coin. But if you keep yourself in a state where you remain in the right kind of relationship with the Lord, you are in his presence, you know what? He'll be with you. If you're with him, he's with you. That's just common sense, isn't it? So he's at our right hand. Well, if the Lord is at your right hand, it'd be hard not to feel joyful. What if you felt him at your right hand? I want you to think about this for a minute. What if whatever it is you're facing at this moment in your life or in the future that is challenging for you or difficult for you, some of this wouldn't make you feel joy at first, especially if you just did something you shouldn't do or acted in a way you shouldn't act or got in a spirit you shouldn't have got in and you feel him at your right hand. That may not feel so comfortable, would it? But what about if you're needing him and what you need more than anything in this world is to know that God is with you and you can feel him at your right hand. Could you think about how much joy that'd give you? You need to realize how deep joy is. I don't want you to confuse it with just some burst of happiness. It is deeper than that, richer than that, far denser than what we think of as temporal happiness. What else is in the list there? The Lord set before him. He's at his right hand. That's what makes his heart glad. If you're going to take this as Jesus, because it was applied to him, you might even take this statement that's made as kind of a declaration of what you're going to do. I shall not be moved. I want to ask you a question. This is another thing you might not think would be associated with joy. How many times have we sung a song where we make that kind of a statement and you feel something rise in you? I can feel it just even thinking about a song. I haven't even quoted a verse yet and I can feel it tingling across my body right now from my fingertips all the way to the top of my head. I can feel it. 
I shall not be, I shall not be moved. What do you feel when you say that? Well, you feel awe and respect and a lot of things you could use, but you know what is one of the deep things you may not realize you're feeling? You're feeling joy. Why would you feel joy telling the Lord, I'm not going to be moved? There's security in it. That's absolutely right. That's a very important point. You know, security will bring you joy if you feel safe. It's a lot easier to be at peace. And again, remember, I'm going to tie peace and joy together pretty tight. It's a lot easier to be at peace, to feel in a good state when you feel secure, you feel safe. If you're saying to the Lord and you mean it, listen, this is the key to the joy part of it. If you don't really mean it, you're not going to really feel the level of joy you could. But if you say to the Lord, I shall not be moved. Lord, I'm on your side and I'm going nowhere. I am going to stand with you. You can feel something in that, can't you, when you say it? What are you feeling? Part of what you're feeling, whether you realize it or not, it's like somebody that is an expert at recipes, you know, and they taste something, they can tell what kind of ingredients are in there. Well, there's some brown sugar in that or whatever. That would be an easier one. It has a distinct taste, doesn't it? There's such and such in there, some ginger or whatever. I don't know if you'd put ginger, what you'd put ginger in, but if you did. I know what these ingredients are. Do you know if you get real sensitive to the Spirit, you'll start to realize what it is you're feeling when you're saying and experiencing certain things and you make a strong statement like that, I shall not be moved, and all of a sudden you feel a wave of something just kind of come over you. Part of what the ingredients of that wave are is joy. It's a joy at knowing. I've made my decision. There is a powerful feeling in anchoring to a decision and saying, I have fixed my face like a flint. This is where I'm going. It may sound difficult, and it is difficult. It may sound like a hardship to commit to something you know could hurt you, you know, like the psalmist said, to swear to your own hurt and change not. That might sound really rough, you know. That wouldn't make me feel very good to have to swear to my own hurt. There's been some times in my life I've made some promises to God that I meant with every iota of my soul and being, and they were hard promises things that I knew would really cost me potentially. And you know a feeling, I'm going to tie joy and peace together again because those two just go almost like a married couple, hand in hand. Joy and peace just washed over me when I made that commitment and meant it. Not just words. Words are not going to bring you this kind of joy. They might bring you a little surface happiness. I mean down to the depths of your soul. You say, this is where I'm at, Lord. I'm on your side. I'm not going anywhere. Or whatever commitment you're making, I'm going to tell you, it will cause something to wash over you that will be a powerful feeling. And one of those ingredients, as I said, is joy. Somebody want to come up with some more things in that list? There are some pretty powerful statements there that cause you to have joy. I'll tie these two together, even though there is a period between them, because they're really the same point. My flesh shall rest in hope, for thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, or suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Would that make joy rush over you? What if you were completely convinced, God is not leaving me in the ground. I might have to go into the ground, but He's not leaving me there. Wouldn't that make you feel some joy? Think of how every one of these things that are describing what would appear to be Jesus' feelings, since it's tied to Jesus in Acts 2 and Acts 16, they are things that you could think about that'll cause you to have joy. You feel like you've lost your joy? You better tie back to your hope. What is the hope God has given you? Have you lost your confidence in the hope of God? If you've lost your joy, you probably have lost your faith. I don't mean you've lost your entire faith. I mean you've lost the element of your faith that is associated with confidence. You've lost some level of confidence in God if you're losing your joy. Because if you really are confident in God, then your joy will be maintained by that confidence. Do you understand? The fact that he knows God's going to show him the path of life and the fact that he knows, listen, this is a very simple but profound point, the fact that he knows where he can find that fullness of joy. 
He knows it's in God's presence. You know what that tells you? The fact that he says, in thy presence is fullness of joy? It would seem to imply, and it certainly has to, if this is referring to Jesus' feelings, that he has been there before. Somebody could tell you, you know, in the presence of the Lord, oh, it's so joyful when you're in the presence of the Lord. And you might say, yes, in his presence is fullness of joy. But this is, I think, someone who has actually been there talking about it. You know, it's different if you've been there. It's different if you've been there, saints. That's why it's so important that we have a real faith, because anything less than a real faith, and I mean that in every way it could be expressed, anything less than a real faith is not going to have the real power necessary to really save people. And if we don't have it, and we're thinking we're going to reach other people without real faith, we're going to find out we're not going to make very much headway. You've got to have the real thing if you want to have real results. That's just that simple. Psalms 33, 21 says, Our heart shall rejoice in Him because we have trusted in His holy name. That's what brings joy to you because you've trusted. There's trust. There's confidence. Remember, what I'm talking about with faith here is confidence, trust. Philippians, the first chapter, 25th and 26th verse, Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. There's a joy that's associated with faith. There's an interconnection between joy and love. I already told you, I've said several times, there's an interconnection between joy and peace. I've talked about all throughout. But there's an interconnection between joy and love. One of the first passages you could go to would be the 15th chapter of John. The ninth verse says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue it, you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you. Well, what is it that makes Jesus' joy remain in us? You've got to know he loves you. You've got to know God loves you. You've got to keep his commandments. Now, I'm going to ask you the same question I've been asking you all along. Why would those things make you feel joy? Well, knowing God loves you and knowing Jesus loves you ought to make you feel joy. If nothing does, that should. Your love for them should make you feel joy. Haven't you ever felt joy when you were thinking of someone you love? Not because of what they do for you, but because of what you can do for them. Someone that you did something for that was self-sacrificial or kind, didn't it make you feel joyful to be able to do it? You know, it's because you're doing an act of love. I had the best experience, and it's going to seem so simple, but it really meant a lot to me. You're going to think, what is he talking about when I tell you? But in our last hiking trip, if you want to call it that, our last day or two we took hiking, this pretty good-sized brawny individual was stuck in a crevice as we were coming back from one of the waterfalls. He was trying to climb up a little cliff. We were crossing across between two of the waterfalls. One of them is very easy to get to. You can almost just walk down to it. That's Blue Hen, isn't it? But you have to follow the river and cross back and forth over across the river to get to Buttermilk Falls in Colga Valley National Park. And it does take some climbing and it takes some seeing if you're wise enough to choose the right path. There isn't a tagged path that says turn here and cross the river. You cross wherever you think it's a good place to cross. You climb wherever you think it's most manageable. This pretty large individual, I mean big bulky muscular type of an individual, heavy in a muscular way, was stuck in this crevice. He was coming trying to make this hike to get down all the way to Buttermilk Falls, which is a little bit of hike through cross country. And we were coming back and I saw him in there. I saw his head peeping up out of there as we were coming across the top of the cliff. This is a strange thing, but I'm only telling you this story so you can consider how joy is produced, all right? As soon as I saw him, 
Don't misread my motivations. As soon as I saw him, I felt joy. Not because here's some guy stuck in a crevice, ha ha. No, no. You know why I felt joy? There's somebody I can help. This poor soul is stuck in this crevice coming up the side of this cliff. I felt joy immediately hit me. I thought, I am a strong man. I can get him out of there, I think. And as soon as he saw me, he, he said something about being stuck there, and he was just trying to find his way to this place to take some pictures, and he had this big pack on his back of the heavy cameras and things, so he was in even a worse situation. And I said, let me get you out of there, and I grabbed his hand and pulled him up out of that crevice. And I'm honestly surprised he didn't seem like he weighed anything. I think it was the joy I was feeling. <laughs> I mean it, too. I mean it. He was a big guy. He was bigger than I am. And I just grabbed him and just kind of pulled him up like he was a child and set him on the path beside me. And he was so thankful. And I felt that joy hit me again. You know why? Because I'd done something for somebody. I didn't get anything from it but joy. He didn't give me anything. I certainly wouldn't have wanted anything. I felt good about it. It made me feel joy. As soon as I saw him, as strange as that sounds, as soon as I saw he was in trouble, I thought, here's a man in trouble and here I am. I can help. <laughs> Wonderful. And then when he came up out of that cliff so easy, I didn't even feel like I was lifting anything but a child. And he sat down and that wash of relief went over him. And he was so happy to be out of that dangerous predicament. I felt the same joy. See how joy is produced? Joy can be produced in a very unselfish way. There was nothing I got out of that except the feeling. I didn't get any benefit. He didn't put my name in the paper and say I rescued him or anything. I hope he didn't. The benefit I got was the feeling of joy I got from doing something that was an act of love, whether you might think of it as an act of love. So you see how these things are connected. I'm going to go on here in John 15. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man may lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You've not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. And I'm reading through the rest of this for a reason. Just wait till you hear what's coming. That you should go and bring forth fruit. That's what we've been talking about, isn't it? And that your fruit should remain. We want our fruit to remain, don't we? I don't want to lose my fruit. I don't want to lose the fruit of love. I don't want to lose the fruit of joy. I don't want to lose the fruit of peace. Anytime you lose those, the condition you're in is a negative condition. Anytime you lose those, the things you're doing, the attitudes you might have and the actions you might be doing are negative things. You lose the fruit of love. Do you think your attitude is going to be good? You lose the fruit of love. Do you think your actions are going to be good? You lose the fruit of joy. Do you think your attitude is going to be good? Your actions are going to be good? Do you see how these fruit affect your attitude and actions? And Jesus expects us to bring forth fruit. Now, bringing forth fruit is not just it popping out of the ground. Like I said, it's the whole process of growing that fruit to its full maturity. You know why? It's the next little statement. And that your fruit should remain. It's not going to shrivel up. It's not going to have an early frost affected and the fruit is killed by that temperature or whatever. And whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, that you love one another. So love, you see, is at the very heart of this. If you abide in God's commandments, you'll abide in the love of God. If you abide in the love of God, the joy of the Lord will remain in you. And eventually it will grow enough in you to the place where your joy will be full.
So joy is the product of a right relationship with God. I said here a few minutes ago, and if you haven't read this into the last statement, joy is a product not just of gratitude, but of obedience. Deuteronomy 28, 45 to 47 says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee. This doesn't sound so joyful, does it? Till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee, and they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever. Just consider why they're experiencing all these terrible things. One of the reasons that he gives. Because, that tells you that you're going to find out the reason. Thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness. Isn't that interesting? He didn't just say because you're not serving me and you're serving other gods. He said you're not serving me with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things. Now see how gratitude is associated with that and service, obedience. In other words, he's saying you're going to face all these terrible things, talking to Israel, you're going to face all these terrible things because you're not serving me with the right spirit. It's not just that we have to serve the Lord, that we have to be his people. We've got to be the right kind of people, don't we? It's not just sitting in church. It's not just saying you're a Christian. You've got to develop the qualities of a Christian. You've got to serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart. And you know why? For the abundance of all things. How could you not be joyful and glad given that all that God has done for us? He was talking to them about material abundance primarily, though spiritual as well. But spiritual abundance is far greater than material abundance. Even if God gave you millions of dollars, what would that mean if God doesn't save your soul? Think what it means that you've been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. That ought to cause you to serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart, shouldn't it? Because those are some pretty abundant things that he's given you. Psalms 19.8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. That sounds like a strange thing to rejoice your heart. God's statutes. Statutes are not promises. Statutes are directions. They're commandments. Isn't it odd that God's commandments would rejoice your heart? Well, they'll rejoice your heart if you know several things about them. If you believe the God that gave them to you, knew what he was doing when he gave them to you, it should rejoice your heart. You know why? You just got the directions for how to get the job done as far as your part of the job. You just got the directions for how you can get your part of the job done. Do you understand the commandments of God are the directions for how we get our part of the job done? He has a part of the job we can't do that he's going to do, but his commandments are his directions for what we're responsible for to get our part of the job done. And it should rejoice your heart. I've gotten some things before. I hate putting things together. I wish everything that you ever bought, I, I can see you hate it too. Look, knucklehead, if you're going to charge me several hundred dollars for something, it ought to at least be put together when I get it. I shouldn't have to spend half a day putting it together. And sometimes the most expensive things you buy take the longest time to put together. I've had some weight machines that I bought through the years with cables and things in them that cost several thousand dollars that took me days to put together properly. I almost wanted to give them the thing back and let them keep the money just to get rid of it after the amount of work it took to put it together. But you know, it's pretty good when you got the directions. Think how much worse it'd be without them. I've gotten some things that you had to put together that were pretty complicated that I couldn't find the directions. I had to go online or call a number and get them to send me the directions or email me the directions. If you've got something complicated that has some technical issues to it, maybe some wires that need attached or something, and you don't have any directions and you've never put anything like that together before, you'll appreciate the directions. You know God's commandments are directions. They're directions to accomplish the putting together of something that would seem to be impossible. And certainly, we could never figure out how to put it together. And yet, God's given us the directions for what we have to do.
Isn't that a thing to take joy in? I want you to take joy in it. I hope you go home tonight thinking the commandments God's given me make me feel joyful. You've got a real simple reason why they should. They should make you feel joyful because if you keep them, you're going to have eternal life. That's pretty good reason to feel joyful. He just gave me the details of what my part is in my future. And if I do my part, I've got a guarantee because I know if I do my part, listen how simple this is. If I do my part, he is definitely going to do his part. So if you know what your part is and God's given you the directions, not just the directions, God's also given you the power to do your part, whatever he's asking of you, you ought to have a feeling of joy just well up in you. Because now you know exactly what the cost is going to be. And you know you are able to pay it because you know what has to be paid. And you know that he's given you what you need to pay it. And whatever the portion is that only God can do, if you do your portion, you are certain that he's going to do his. That would give you joy, wouldn't it? So even having the instructions, the commandments, ought to cause joy to come up in you. Because you know exactly what it is God expects. Psalms 32.11 says, be glad in the Lord. That's one of the words for joy. So take joy in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you that are upright in heart. Notice the people that are feeling joy, the ones that are upright, righteous. People that are living in an obedient state of relationship with God. That's what it is to be righteous. If you're righteous, that means you're living in an obedient state of relationship. Righteousness and holiness, and we're going to talk about these because they're related to the fruit of the Spirit, are not the same thing. They are different things. They're very close neighbors close cousins, maybe even brothers, but they're not the same. Righteousness is the things you do. If God chooses you and sets you apart, he can make you holy. He can sanctify you. But righteousness comes from different avenues. There's things the Lord does to make you righteous. There's things you have to do to be righteous yourself. You have to do the right things. And notice that this is individuals that are doing the right things that are feeling this joy. Why would you be feeling joy? Because you're doing the right things. You think, well, I feel terrible. I got to do all this stuff for the Lord. Lord asked me to love him. Isn't that a shame? Anybody want to bemoan with me over that? I'm not bemoaning over it because I'm not crazy enough to think it's a shame for the Lord to ask me to love him. I think that's an honor. The God who loved us in the way he loved us now turns to us and says, love me. What an honor that is that he's even requesting that kind of relationship from you. And that he obviously believes it's possible for you to do it. Not alone, but with him and because of him. Psalms 97, 10 to 12. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous, and give thanks to the remembrance of his holiness. So when you know you're living in a right relationship with God, you're obeying him. It should give you joy. It should be very simple why that would be. If you know you're in right relationship with God, if you're doing everything that's required of you, that ought to make you feel joy. Not arrogance, joy. Those are totally different. If you feel arrogance or think you're better than other people because you're living a life that you feel is close to God, then there's something wrong in the ingredients of your spiritual life. That is not what I'm talking about. Joy has nothing to do with arrogance. Joy has to do with the feeling that comes from the knowledge that I feel in harmony with God. That'd make me feel joyful to feel in harmony with God. And if you want to be in harmony with God, it's going to require you to be in a righteous type of a state. The 100th Psalm, first five verses, says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. That's the word for joy, simcha. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. There's some expressions of joy. If we're singing in church, sing. 
Maybe you don't feel anything when you start, but I'll tell you what, you might start to feel something if you'll start to sing. If you start to worship, you might start to feel something change in your disposition. So come before his presence with singing. Know you that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And this is what we have over the doors of our assembly. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Don't just wait to come in his gates and his courts, though, to have praise and thanksgiving. Wake up in the morning with that feeling. Go to sleep at night with that feeling. Walk around the house with that feeling. Get in your car and drive to work with that feeling. Try not to lose it in the midst of some of the untoward things that go on around you in this world. Try not to lose it. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. That's a whole list of reasons why you would feel joy. Because you know those things about the Lord. That ought to make you feel some joy, knowing some of those things about God. I'll give you another example. Second Chronicles 15, the 8th verse down to maybe the 15th. This is when Asa heard the words of Oded the prophet. He took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the land of Judah and Benjamin. And out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with him out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon. For they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. And they offered unto the Lord at the same time of the spoil which they had brought. I'm reading all this as background to show you what created the joy that you're going to see in a moment. They offered unto the Lord at the same time of the spoil which they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers, all their heart and with all their soul that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice. I'm going to tell you, I think they were feeling something. It wasn't just they wanted to get as loud as they could when they made this declaration. And with shouting and with trumpets and with cornets and all Judah rejoiced at the oath. That sounds like a strange thing to rejoice about. Do you realize Judah had not been in right relationship with God? Asa had taken them out of right relationship with God and some of those other kings. But when the prophet turned the heart of that king and he brought the nation back into right relationship with God, they felt joy at being able to give God an oath that they were going to serve him. A life and death oath. Joy washed over them for they had sworn. Here's why. For they had sworn with all their heart. Remember what I told you? If you're just surface level doing some of these things, if your confidence is just surface level and it can be easily be shaken, if your commitment to God is just surface level and you're wondering why you keep losing your joy, listen, people get all these things backwards, you know. If I just felt more joyful, maybe I'd have more faith in God. If I just felt more joyful, maybe I'd make stronger commitments to God. If that is how you're looking at it, and I hope you're not, you've got it entirely backwards. You need to make some gut level at the deepest soul level commitments to God, you know are deep commitments. These were deep commitments. Anybody that did not make this commitment was put to death. Man, woman, small and great, by the way, is just a way of saying the highest people in society and the highest positions all the way down to the poorest. That's a pretty strong statement. Anybody that does not make this covenant is to be put to death. And yet they were rejoicing when they made it. They were thrilled to be able to make this covenant. That's exactly how we should be. And you want to feel joy? You're going to have to make the adjustments in your thinking to realize what brings joy. 
I need to be all in in my relationship with God. I need to stop holding some portion of myself back because the reason I'm not really feeling at peace, the reason I'm not getting the feeling of joy I'd like to have is because I'm holding something of myself back from the relationship. If I just fully invested myself in the relationship, you can be certain there'd be a change that would come over you. And the same thing goes whether it's your confidence in Him, whether it's your obedience to Him, some oath or covenant you're making with Him. For they had sworn with all their heart and sought Him with their whole desire. That was their chief desire. That was what they wanted more than anything else, was to be in relationship with God. So when they made that covenant with Him, if that's what you want most, it'll give you joy to make it. I imagine while I've been saying this, you already can think of one example of this if you have been in a good marriage or if you're in a good marriage. You understand the marriage covenant is intended to be a life and death covenant, right? It's pretty serious. It's not an agreement. I've often heard Brother Moore say through the years, and I think it's very wise. I don't know if he originated it or picked it up, but I've heard him say it when he's talked about weddings or marriage, and I think it's a very good statement. Marriage is a covenant. It is not an agreement. An agreement can be changed, broken, you know, whatever, renegotiated. A covenant is a life and death covenant. There are some unique situations where that covenant can be broken, but generally speaking, it's a life and death covenant. I want you to think about that. When I stood on the platform in El Dorado, Illinois in 1996 on June the 22nd, and hopefully nobody thought I wasn't in a good state of mind because I had been sick all night, wasn't feeling good. Listen, listen, listen close. I wouldn't plan on using this example either, but pay close attention. I was not feeling good at all. I hadn't been feeling good all night. I don't know what created it. It might have been the pollen in the air. It could have been a cold. Who knows? In the middle of the summer, a summer cold, you know. I was not one bit anxious about marrying who I was marrying. That isn't why I wasn't feeling good, but I just wasn't feeling good. As I stood on that platform with Brother Jolly and Brother Moore, who were the two that married us, and I watched that door open and my wife start coming down that aisle, joy rushed through me. I was about to make one of the most serious covenants that any human can make. I was about to lock myself down, so to speak, to one relationship for the rest of my life. If I'm true to it, if I'm true to my covenant, that did not make me feel fear. It didn't make me feel discomfort. It made me feel joy. If you loved your spouse, or at least loved him when you married him, I hope the same love you had is there now. But if you at least loved him when you married him, didn't you feel joy when you were making those promises? Now let's get right down to the actual promises. When you were looking in their eyes and saying those words to them, didn't it make you feel good? I hope it made you feel good. If it didn't, there's a whole another subject we need to talk about tonight. But I hope it made you feel good. You know that was joy you were feeling? And you were feeling joy at making a very deadly serious covenant agreement. You see why you'd feel joy making that kind of agreement with God? With all their heart, with all their desire, they didn't want anyone else. They were thrilled God would even let them come back into covenant relationship with them. You know how they knew that? Because Oded the prophet told them. He basically said, if you'll straighten up and turn back to God, God will welcome you back into relationship. All oh, those folks were on fire about it. They longed to be in right relationship with God. It was a joy to make covenant with him. We better never lose the joy of our salvation. Your salvation, it's a covenant. Do you realize that? It's a two-way covenant too. You had to do something to enter into that covenant, and you will be involved in staying in it too, though so is he. Both you and the Lord are involved in that covenant. It is a bilateral covenant. His part of it is far greater and far more eclipsing than yours, but it is a bilateral covenant. It's not unilateral. 
When you entered into relationship with the Lord, don't you think you'd feel joy? You know, you entered into a life and death covenant agreement. I'm with you, Lord. I'm sorry for the things that I used to do. That's what conversion's all about. I'm sorry. I recognize I was not who I ought to be, and no one can save me but you. And you told me you would save me if I asked you to. And I'm going to ask you, will you please help me? Will you please forgive me? I'm sorry, Lord. Please forgive me. And you feel that feeling. You better feel something. You better feel something. This is one of those things I've said many times here lately, like several other statements. If you don't feel that you are in relationship with the Lord, you need to be in a deeper relationship with the Lord. You should feel something. Should have felt something lift when you entered into relationship with the Lord. Should have felt something shift in your spiritual life if what really happened was that the burden of sin was rolled away. You better believe you're going to feel something. A freedom, a peace, a joy. But you know you're entering into a covenant relationship feeling that joy. It's what they were doing here in a different sense, not a new covenant, covenant relationship. But they were renewing their covenant with the Lord and they did it with all their heart and their whole desire. I'll bet when you turn to the Lord, if you had a true, genuine experience, that's exactly what you were doing. All your heart, your whole desire. If you were filled with the Holy Ghost, there is no way you were genuinely filled with the Holy Ghost if you didn't seek it with all your heart and all your desire, even if you didn't know you were seeking it. Even if just down in your heart you had a longing and God filled it like he did the household of Cornelius, who didn't even know anything about the Holy Spirit, and God just poured it out on them right there in the 10th chapter of Acts. In their heart, they were longing for a deeper relationship with God. They were Gentiles and didn't even think they could have a deeper relationship with God. They thought they had the best they could possibly have with the little bit of connection they had to the religion of Judaism. And the Lord opened up a deeper and a richer path for them to enter into full relationship. They were longing for it. That's why they got filled with the Holy Ghost so easily. They didn't have to tarry for it or get taught on what the Holy Spirit is. Their hearts were wide open and God just poured his spirit in. Wouldn't that make you feel joy? And that's a covenant agreement you're making. That is a very deadly, serious covenant agreement. So they swore with their whole heart and sought him with their whole desire, and he was found of them. That's one of those precious statements in the Scripture. They sought him with all their heart. Listen, this will always happen exactly like this. This is a fail-safe mechanism. If you seek the Lord with all your heart and with your whole desire, you will always find him. You will always find him. First of all, if there's something in you that the Lord would not respond to, you would not be able to seek him with all your heart and your whole desire. But if you will seek the Lord with all your heart and your whole desire, you can be certain he will be found of you. And then this precious ending point, and the Lord gave them rest roundabout, Peace, security, safety. 